This week we're, we're in Jonah and we're talking about repentance. And where we've been over the last couple of weeks in our study of the book of Jonah has been, uh, we talked about what it means to have a calling on your life. Do you remember we talked about everyone gets a vocational calling on their life? And, and then there's a general calling on our lives for the Great Commission uh, just to share the gospel and make sure that we're constantly telling, you know, wherever you go, take the gospel with you. All of us have that as believers. But then there's oftentimes a specific calling that God places on your life. Maybe for you, it was that God placed on your life, go work at Lighthouse this summer. There was a nudge there that said, I need to be there. And maybe, you know, you thought, I don't know why I'm, why am I going to this camp this summer? I got other things I could be doing. God puts that on your life or, or you see a need and God does that. Well, that happened in Jonah's life. And, and what we learned from Jonah is you can't run from it, right? I mean, it doesn't work. Uh, to try to run from the Lord. You, you can't do it. And Jonah tried to step away from that specific calling. And those change. God gives us a vocational calling, a general calling. And those specific callings are often a response to a need that, that God sees and then he puts on our hearts for us to respond to and be God's messenger or a ministry opportunity. And so we had looked at that. And then we also looked at what it was like to ride the storms of life. And you remember that as we talked about the storms of life, we talked about there were two basic kinds that we could find ourselves in. One are the storms of life that we're all going to go through. Difficulty, hardship. Uh, you have, you have uh, trials and tribulations in your life. You, you cannot avoid them. Jesus said to expect them, be ready for them. Jonah had a secondary kind of storm in his life. And that was a storm of discipline that was brought into his life because God was getting his attention to say, you, you've stepped outside. And we, remember we talked about this, God chastens those whom he loves. And so understanding and having the wisdom to know the difference between those two, because you know, there's always that person who's like, God just hates me. And you're like, well, maybe you're just going through a storm, brother. I mean, it's just what, what happens to all of us. That's not what it is. But when we step outside of God's will, God will correctively bring us back in to line. Well, today we're going to see how we can work through those times in our lives when we inevitably find ourselves in sin. So here's the thing about repentance. Uh, you need this sermon today if you've been a Christian for longer than a minute. If you're brand new to the faith, probably the grace that just got you to salvation is good for maybe five minutes and you're going to mess up again, just like the rest of us. And when you do, what do you do? What do we do when we find ourselves in those moments where we've really stepped outside of God's will for our lives and we've been disobedient? Well, Jonah chapter two helps us with that. So I want to read this uh, nine verses, 10 verses that you see here in chapter two. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord, my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. Those who cher uh, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord, 
Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So let's look this morning at a few steps that might lead us toward repentance. Step number one, never forget that God is near. Never forget that God is near. Now that seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, doesn't it? Because Jonah has been far from God's will and he's in fact been pitched over the side of a boat. And you might think he's about as far away from God as he could be. But I want you to notice what happened in verse two. It said, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol and you heard my voice. I think one of the tactics of the enemy that we always need to be aware of is, is that the enemy constantly wants to tell us that we are unworthy. Now, I have news for you. You are unworthy. So let's just get that out of the way. You're unworthy. I'm unworthy. There's no worth found inside of us. All of the worth that we have is found inside of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so when the enemy comes and says, you're not worthy, the answer is, you're right, but he is worthy. And because he died for me, his blood shed for me makes me worthy. It's not about me. I am unworthy. But what the enemy will do is he'll try to kind of point out that fact that we're separated from God by sin and say, you know, God's gone from you. There's no coming back from this. You're too far gone. You're too far separated. And oftentimes in our sin, it does feel like God might be miles and miles away, doesn't it? Have you ever experienced that? You, you sin and you just think like, how could I even be a believer? And it just feels like God must be somewhere on the other side of Mars and too far to reach and too far to speak to. And too, but that's not true. God is near. And, and I think what you see here is exactly what Jonah uh, points out for us. Jonah should have been experiencing the fellowship of his calling. He was a prophet of the living God. He should have been enjoying that. He had direct marching orders from the Lord. He should have been walking in those things. Instead, he says, I'm in Sheol. Now, this is not to be crass, but in the Old Testament, Sheol was the place where the departed spirits went. It's like, he, it's like what he's saying is, I'm in the middle of hell. This is what's going on. Look at what I've done to myself. I'm in a mess. I'm as far away from God where God wouldn't inhabit, even in that place, God was near to Jonah. And Jonah says something about this that's incredible. He's in the belly of a fish, which by the way, is a sign of God's mercy to him anyway, because he doesn't perish. He's in the belly of a fish. And what he says is incredible. In that moment, he reminded himself that God not only answers, but hears. Did you see that? He says, in my distress, I called to you, and you answered me. God doesn't just hear, he answers. There's a difference, isn't there? Have you ever been talking to someone and, and they heard you, but they didn't answer you? you? You know the feeling that they hear you, but they don't answer. I've got a doctor's appointment that I was reminded again this week that I need to make. I have it every couple of years. It has to do with my heart and they go in and they check in and all these kinds of things. One of the things that makes me want to put it off is not being afraid to go to the doctor. It's being afraid of having to call and they answer my call, but no one hears me. Just rolls and rolls. We'll be with you in a minute. We'll be with you in a minute. You ever try to call and get through to the hospital and get all that? I mean, it just takes forever. They answer, but they don't hear it. God doesn't like that. Jonah said about God, 
something incredible for us to remember. It's not just that God hears what we have, but that God answers. And we've talked about this before, but do you remember what God's answers for us in prayer are? They're always, yes, no, keep praying. Yes, no, keep praying. That's the only three that you get, right? Yes, no, keep praying. And I find that a lot of mine are in category three. How about yours? I get some very clear yeses. I get a lot of clear noes. But I get a lot that are, you need to keep praying. It's not that God's not answering. He says about our God, he's near to us. If if God is far away from us, he wouldn't be able to hear us. If God is far away from us, he wouldn't be able to answer us. You ever tried to to shout across a a valley to someone and they can't, it's like, what what did you say? Or or talk over the, 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 the white noise that's in the room. God not only hears, he answers because He's close to us and we should never forget that God is near. When we sin, we often think that we're so far away and it's not true. We're just far enough away that all we have to do is turn and say, Lord, forgive me. And we're right back. God is near. He's always near to us, never far away. Step two, Jonah teaches us that we have to set our hope on the right thing. It's not just enough to know that God is near and that he answers us, but Jonah teaches us that we have to set our hope on the right thing. And to do this requires us to get very real about our circumstances. We love to talk about getting real, but we don't like doing it very much. Because to get real means that all the facade has to fall, right? All the pride has to fall. And Jonah says some very real things about the Lord. And in verse three, he says, well, God threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas and the current overcame me. He didn't say the sailors pitched me over. What did he say? He knew it was the Lord. The Lord was the architect of these circumstances. And Jonah recognized that everything that's going on, God was doing, he had sinned and God was working. Now you say, well, how's that setting your hope? Well, he's not blaming God. He's actually acknowledging him. He's not denying where he is. He's getting real. And what that allows him to do is what we see in verse four. He said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. You have to understand what he's saying here. It's a little bit strange to us because I doubt if you were in trouble, you would say, I look towards Judson Baptist Church. That'd be weird. I've never said that, have you? That'd be strange. But for a Jew, why would he say that I've looked towards your holy temple? Because that was the place where God's presence resided. Do you remember from our study in Ephesians, we talked about how there was this wall of separation, right? The Jews could go inside, the Gentiles had to stay outside. But even inside of that, where everything took place, there was another veil of separation where the Holy of Holies was, And the Ark of the Covenant sat in there and God's presence resided there. And so when he says, I'm looking to your holy temple, he's not talking about the temple like I have some confidence in the building. It has nothing to do with the building. It's what resides in the building and that's the presence and power of the living God. And so when he says, I'm looking towards your temple, he's getting real with the Lord and saying, I have no hope in this life except for you. We don't do that often when we're in trouble. Often we try to rely on ourselves. I'm gonna rely on my own resilience to get me out of this mess. That's the American way. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Not Jonah. Jonah says, I don't have any hope. The only hope I have is to look 
at your holy temple, to look where your presence resided. Remember, he wanted to run away from God's presence. Do you remember that? It said uh, that he spoke to the, to the sailors and he said, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now he doesn't want to flee from the presence. He recognizes again, his only hope is in the presence of of the living God. And if we don't acknowledge what's real in our lives, the sin that's in our lives, if we try to hide it, if we try to deny it, we can never fully set our hope in the living Lord Jesus Christ. The hope that is, is, is biblical doesn't work in denial. It won't happen that way. Because for you to come to Christ, for you to have a relationship with God the Father, there has to be an acknowledgement of what's actually happening, what's going on. And the firm resolve that comes from a hope set on the presence of the living Lord is incredible. Jonah knew it was his only hope. I think that's an important place for us maybe to stop and just say something that's important to us. For us, the gospel is simply this. It's not that we figure it out. That's not being real with ourselves. When someone tells me, I'm ready to, to think about coming to Christ, but I gotta get some stuff fixed in my own life, they don't understand. It doesn't work that way. You got into the mess, how can you fix it? It only can be fixed with a relationship with Christ. It, it will not work. What happens is when we sin, we don't realize this, we're under judgment of God, and that places us far away from him. But Christ come and bridges that gap for us with his death on the cross. And the only way for us to have a relationship with God is not by doing good works. Those flow out of a relationship with God. It's not that we could do enough to please him. You, you can't. God's justice has been offended by our sin. And the only way back is through the living Lord Jesus Christ who died and was buried and rose again and died in our place and shed his life's blood for us. And the Bible says that Jesus spoke to us and to the disciples by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can't get there any other way. You can't try to take a detour. You can't try to take a roundabout. It comes by crossing the bridge through faith in Jesus Christ to come back to God. It's the only way there. Set your hope on Jesus. Set your hope on God. It's not about us. It's not about a new book we could read or a, a, a better way to think or treat people or if we could just be a little bit better, it doesn't work that way. But I want you to see something that's amazing. Jonah says something about this that's huge for us in verse seven. He says, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you to your holy temple. Folks, it is never too late to call on God. As long as there's breath in your life, breath in your lungs, it's never too late to call on God. And, and a lot of us, what we do is instead of, of calling and coming back to God, we kind of live in this denial about our sin. And God's over here going, look, I've sent Jesus, just come back. As believers, if we could remember that, it would help us not to harden our hearts. I gotta tell you, I, I've seen this too many times and you have too. People who are making wrong decisions, right? And, and everyone's telling them this. Don't, don't do that, believers. Don't do that. Don't, you're never gonna find happiness here. Don't do that. You're outside of God's will. And they harden their heart and they go over here and when their life falls apart, instead of turning back to the Lord like Jonah did, what do they do? They blame God. Jonah acknowledged that God was the architect of his circumstances, but he fully understood he was to blame. He's not blaming God. 
Look what you did to me. Well, what's your part in this? I wonder if God ever says that to us. Are, are you going to acknowledge it? Do you have any responsibility here? Or is it just all my fault? It doesn't work that way. For all of us, we have to live not in a fantasy of lies, but in the truth where we fully acknowledge and set our hope in the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ and turn to him and understand it's never too late. And you may feel like you have squandered the best years of your lives. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who buys back the years? Aren't you glad that we serve a God who redeems the years? It's never too late. And you may be this morning carrying this, this full weight around you that just says, I can't get back. I've done too much. It'll never be right. And God's saying, just turn to me and get real about it for a second. Place your hope in me. Stop trying to figure it out for yourself and turn to me. The way you got into this mess was running away from me. Turn back to me. Jonah did that. So he never forgot that God was near. He set his hope on God. And then step three, you have to humble yourself. To humble yourself. Look at verses eight and nine. It says that those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has changed here. His, his pride is gone. He's not running anymore. Now he's worshiping. And I remind you that this is from the belly of a fish. Right? His circumstances haven't changed. He's still under pressure. He's still alone is what he thinks, right? Is what he thought. And then he realizes he's not alone. God's never far. He re remembers that God hears and he, he must, I mean, how would he have known the direction of the temple from the belly of a fish? I don't know. He just, he just in his mind, looked to the temple and, and calls out to the Lord. And, and now he's humbled himself. And this is amazing what you read this. If you look at verse eight, I'm reading from the Christian standard version of the Bible. And the, the translation is a little, I think, clunky. It's not wrong, but it's clunky to understand. If you read verse eight, and it says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. What, what does that mean? It sounds a little clunky. I, I think there are some other translations that might get it a little more fluid for us, even though this is not incorrect. The, the English Standard Version of the Bible, for instance, says that those who cherish worthless idols give up their hope for faithful love. Well, what does that mean? If you, if you serve idols, you're exchanging what is fake for what is real. And the, the only hope that we have for faithful love comes from God. So what he's saying is when we chase these things and don't worship the one true God, you're giving up the only chance you ever had for faithful and steadfast love. And it comes from the living Lord Jesus Christ from God the Father. So, so when he says this to us, he's humbling himself. You might remember that in chapter one, we saw that the sailors, after they threw Jonah overboard... In verse 16, if you just kind of look back there, I'll read it for us. It just says, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Well, now Jonah is following along with them. I am going to sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. So you saw this change in these people's lives where they're, they're stepping away from pagan sacrifice 
And now they're sacrificing to the one true Lord and Jonah's doing the same thing. He's right alongside of them. He's not running anymore from the presence of the Lord. He's humbled himself and he does it without coming without pretense or pride. And if I could just say to us this morning, a core tenet of repentance is removing pride from yourself. You have to acknowledge who you really are, laying down all pretense. If you stand before the Lord and you try to justify what you've done, you're not ready for repentance. Well, I know that I acted incorrectly, but those people pushed me to it. No. When God speaks to your heart, the idea of confession is agreement with God. Are you, agreement, are you in agreement with God right now about how he views your life? I mean, honestly. Has God been speaking to you about some, some aspect of your life? And in your life, you, you, you recognize that there's a sin there, but you're not in agreement with God about it. Agreement with God looks like this. It's where you just come and you fall before him and say, your word is right and I am wrong. That's it, end of story. You've said this, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. There's no more justification trying to say, well, I did it because, or I don't really think it was that bad. I mean, I've never killed anybody. I mean, is that the justification that we have? It's like, I'm not as bad as somebody else? Says who? Have you ever hated anyone? Because Jesus said that that's murder. So it's the recognition, it's, it's not a diminishing of sin in our lives where, where we try to explain it away or we try to make it not be as bad as, as what God says that it is. It's really what, what God tells us, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? So until our pride is gone and we humble ourselves, where we're worshiping the living God again, we're not ready for repentance. When we're worshiping idols, it, it forfeits faithful love. That's what Jonah was saying to us. Now, we worship idols all the time. You may not have a little statue in your house you worship, but you might worship a relationship. You might worship power. You might worship money. You might worship what people think about you. You might worship uh, just being able to save face in front of people. You might want, want to be able to do those things. Whatever you're, you're chasing, that's what you're worshiping. But when we do that, we, we forfeit the ability to know steadfast love in our lives. It's kind of like, I think, in our lives when we, we try to take a shortcut to something that there really is no shortcut for. The only way back to God is through humbling ourselves, repentance. I think a lot of times uh, the reason we haven't experienced genuine repentance is because we still act like children. And I'm not calling you babies, but I kind of am. You can be offended. It's okay. Do you remember when you were a kid and if you had a sibling, you get a little squabble and your, your parents say, you need to say you're sorry to your brother. Sorry. No, you weren't. You're just trying to get out of trouble. Do you ever do that to the Lord? Hey, this isn't right. Sorry. Whatever. I'm just upset I got caught. I'm upset that somebody knows. I'm, that, that's not repentance. Repentance is a change, right? It's a change of direction. When we, we talk about this in church, to describe the word, we often say it's a change of direction. So when I'm walking after my own self, I'm over here. A change of direction changes the focus of where I'm walking. Now I'm walking back to the Lord. 
It's a change of direction. So change of mind. When you stand before the Lord and the attitude is like, I mean, sorry, whatever, that, that doesn't cut it. That's not humbling myself. Do you know the difference? Do you remember maybe the first time you ever saw your children or, or kids in the nursery or, or whatever, like somebody who really had a recognition of what they had done wrong when they came and they didn't try to justify themselves. They just sat down and said, I'm sorry that I did that. It was wrong. It'll blow your mind, right? God's waiting on us for a, a, humil, a humble spirit, for us to be in humility before him. So it starts by never forgetting God's near. We can call to him anytime. And we set our hope on the Lord. We humble ourselves. And I, I just wrote down this morning, maybe you'd like to get a a note and, and write these verses down. I'm not going to read them all, but I might just give a, a quick synopsis of them because I think sometimes when we find ourselves in sin and, and we want to know where to turn in this, what, what do we do? Where do we turn? How do we get there? These are some verses that just, that just speak to me about what it means to live in repentance. Jesus started his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter five with something that are called the Beatitudes. Uh, if you grew up in church, it was the only, you'll remember these because it's the only time you ever were, read the word B-L-E-S-S-E-D and you didn't say blessed, you said blessed. I don't know why that is. I don't know where that came from, but blessed are the meek. Well, blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are those who mourn, right? They will be comforted. Jesus isn't talking about like, Blessed are you when you go through a hardship and you're, you know, you're sad. He's talking about when people recognize their sin. God begins to comfort them and he begins to lift them up. But it starts with contrition, Matthew chapter 5. I love Psalm 25 for a number of reasons, but Psalm 25 and, and verse 11, David uh, starts saying to, to the Lord, uh, I need you to forgive me for your holy name because my sin is immense. When was the last time you told the Lord your sin was immense? You got a lot of it. I've got a lot of it. When we take God's viewpoint of sin, like, like you've got a catalog of them in your life, right? Me too. So to look at the Lord and just say, I, I've got a, an immense amount of sin in my life. Even since you saved me, Lord, I know that I'm, I've got a lot of sin, and, but I thank you for forgiving me based on your holy name. Thank you for that. Psalm 51 is David's great prayer of contrition after he had sinned in adultery and murder with Bathsheba and her husband. And he's done all of this stuff. And he comes before the Lord in Psalm 51 and, and starts saying, Create in me a, a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. I mean, these are great verses, not only for us just to read, but for us to pray that prayer of contrition. I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a believer, that ought to be a memorized, if you don't know that, if that has not been a memorized verse in your life this week, that's your homework. Memorize it. You're going to need it a lot. Because as we sin, if we're faithful to confess our sin, 
He's faithful to forgive us our sin. So there's this idea of humility again, coming before the Lord, agreeing with him. Confession, I've I've done this. I know that your word says it's not right. Forgive me, Lord. And I claim that you have cleansed me. James 5.16. And this is a crucial one. Because I think the longer that we're believers, what starts to happen is that a lot of the sins that we might commit might not be as evident to everyone else because they're sins of the heart, sins of the will, sins of of attitude and mind. And James tells us that it's good for us to confess our sin one to another. That's an important piece of it. There ought to be some people in your life that you can call and say, I need you to pray for me and hold me accountable to this because this isn't right. I'm so grateful that, that God has given me some long-term relationships in my life that I can call those brothers and say, would you please pray for me about this? And I want you, next time we talk, hold me accountable to this. I'm inviting your scrutiny into my life so that this is broken in my life because it's not right. God doesn't want this there. So, so let, me, let me just tell you what's going on. And, and by the way, uh, that's an act of humility because it, nothing humbles you, you know, it's humbling to have to tell the Lord what your sin is. It's humbling to have to call one of your buddies, one of your girlfriends, and say, hey, I know you probably wouldn't know this about me, but I am harboring this in my heart. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I need you to forgive me. I need you to help me walk through a process of forgiveness. Would you help me with this? Invite the scrutiny of accountability into your life. I think that there are probably two incorrect attitudes when it comes to sin and and how we deal with it. And hopefully these verses keep us away from those incorrect attitudes. One attitude is that we're flipping about it. Paul says that that should never be. You remember, should we sin more that grace may abound in the book of Romans? May it never be. We don't presume on God's grace so that we can just go and live however we want to do and, and do whatever we want to do and then come back and say, but it's all good, I'm saved, it's cool, it's great. That's the flippant side of it, that's incorrect. God took your sin so seriously that he put Jesus Christ on the cross to die in your place. Sin costs something. Great. The, the other side of that is this self-loathing that comes with sin. You, you meet somebody and they, they can't ever get out of it because it's like, I'm no good. I'm never gonna make it. And that's equally just as wrong. Because if we are free in Christ, where's the condemnation come from? Remember what Romans says, for those of us in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. It doesn't exist anymore. So God's not doing that. Where's that coming from? Well, that's the enemy, isn't it? The enemy would love for you to be flippant about sin because you stay in it. Or the enemy, if he can't get you to be flippant about it, would love you to become a self-loathing person. These verses, I hope, give us a pathway forward because for all of us, we need it. Now, as we get ready in just a minute to close our service, we're just gonna have a, kind of a quiet, extended time of response where we pray just in our pew. And I'm gonna ask you about a couple of things as we get ready for this. 
as, as you're looking at this scripture, is there just anything in your life that the Lord Jesus Christ would be saying today through the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit brings conviction to our lives. Is there any part of this that you're like, man, God is speaking to me and I need to make it right? We'll do it. Do it and do it now. Do it and enjoy the grace that is ours. I, I was listening to a podcast this week that Kathy had recommended to me. And um, it was a, a local pastor. And he was talking about how as believers, we kind of understand the illustration of the courtroom. Has anybody ever told you the illustration of the courtroom where, where it's as if God is the judge and you are on trial? And just before God is about to hit the gavel of guilty, because you are guilty, by the way. I'm guilty, you're guilty, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. That Christ stands up and says, my grace is sufficient and I've died in his place. So his debt, her debt has been paid through my death. And we understand that idea of grace there. But oftentimes, he pointed out, we as believers, we leave that illustration of grace in the courtroom at salvation and then we go out into our lives and forget that the grace that saved us is the grace that sustains us. It's the grace that walks with us today. It's the grace that covers all of our sins. Now, I often think about grace like, like this picture of the mountain uh, that, that you see sometimes. If you've ever been in the mountains of East Tennessee or over in Western North Carolina, maybe, you'll see this sometimes. If you, you drive up high, as the night rolls in or the morning is coming, you'll see kind of the fog. They call them the Smoky Mountains for a reason, right? It, it kind of starts to envelop and, and you don't see the ridges anymore. It looks kind of flat. It's like grace, what grace does in our lives. It, it takes those broken ridges and things and it, it just fills them all in. If, if that was an illustration of sin, that's what grace does. It comes and fills it in for us. God is so good to do that. And we can't forget that. And so maybe today you need... To, to lay a sin down and live in the grace that Christ has given you. And maybe you're living with a bunch of regret for the, you know, the last five years or 10 years or, or, or longer. And you're missing the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that you could live in grace and it's his grace that sustains you. And you need again today to welcome the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and to experience forgiveness. And know that while you are never worthy of it, he is worthy. So I want to ask you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and we'll spend just a few minutes together. Daniel's going to play and it's just going to be quiet. But if you need to do business with the Lord, would you do it? Lord Jesus, where could we begin today to thank you for your grace? Holy Spirit and God the Father, we welcome your insight into our lives. We confess our brokenness to you, our sin to you. And as believers this morning, we want to just say our sin is immense and we call on you to forgive us, to heal us. We're reminded this morning that your grace is greater than all our sin May we never be flippant about it. May we never be stuck in self-loathing and a belief that you're 
too far away from us. We thank you that you are near this morning and you are near as we call out to you. We ask your grace to fill in all of the jagged, broken, sharp edges of our lives where we have fractured relationship with you and others, Lord. And we ask you to cleanse us from the inside out. We ask you to renew our joy this morning, to renew our strength this morning. Father, we pray for the believers that might be in the room this morning who have just believed a lie, that their lives don't count anymore, that you can't buy back the years that have been broken. God, lift us up. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down the right hand of the throne of God. And all God's people said, Amen.